With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 79 of the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. I know the holidays can be extremely wonderful, but at the same time, extremely challenging for so many. Hopefully it's more of the latter as opposed to the former for you, and hopefully you are already gearing up mentally, emotionally, and physically for a big 2024 right now, and not looking to just show up on January 1st and throw that switch. Now, that's not to say that that won't work. It can. Although we do know that sometimes when you go to throw that switch, the light does not always go on. So I say start right now. Start right now. Per usual. Day one, all in. Let's go. What I'm saying is start right now, have a strong strategy throughout the holidays, that way you don't come off the rails, and then you can hit the ground running at 12.01 a.m. January 1st. Personally, I am committed and prepared to have the most productive year in 2024 that I've ever had. I will find another gear. I will seek a new normal. I will shock my system. I will create a new standard, always remembering that the standard is the standard and standard above feelings. And I've already chosen my word for 2024. Everybody should have a word for the coming year. Mine is relentless. I will be relentless in attacking my process and every challenge and every opportunity that's in front of me. Relentless in attacking and winning every single day. Relentless about doing those things that I don't want to do, but that I know will help me get to where I need to go. Relentless about being better today than I was yesterday and in always taking massive action. And relentless in doing those things that move me closer to achieving my mission and not doing those things that set me back. Relentless in doing, thinking, and consuming things that make me feel strong and healthy mentally and physically, and saying no to immediate gratification. Relentless about pushing back against complacency, and most of all, relentless about not complaining. That's a huge one. And I will not begin with this mindset only on the first day of the new year, but every single day of every single year. I will start with the same exact mantra. Day one, all in, let's go. Every second counts. No fear and no regrets. Go hard, start right this second, and don't wait for January 1st. Shifting gears now to this episode's conversation, which is extremely important and powerful. Now, I want to first state very clearly, I know what I am and I know what I'm not. I'm a pretty average person in most regards who has been very fortunate to spend literally my entire career in the media as a sports broadcaster, in radio, television, online, and of course, I work in this space as well. That's who I am. I would never jump on here and profess to be anything that I'm not. I'm simply somebody who appreciates and attacks my opportunities, and I'm grateful to have them. And I want to get better and hopefully help others along the way with what I've learned over the course of my life. I want to share that. I want to help. 
I want to learn. I want to get better. And I want to help you do the same thing. However, I am not unique nor special in any regard, really. And yes, I have played in the toy department of life most of my career, talking sports, interviewing athletes, and conversing with the fans. Now, today's topic is showing up more and more in sports and in all of our lives, thankfully. It is, however, not where I live. It's not what I know, but it's something that I think affects each and every one of us to varying degrees, myself included. I'm talking about the issue of mental health. Now, if you're a sports fan, you probably know former major leaguer Drew Robinson. If you do not know Drew, you should. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I do want to preface this by saying this is a really intense conversation as Drew courageously shares his story about attempting to take his own life and the lessons he learned from that horrific experience and the lessons that he continues to learn today. Now, if you're someone that feels off or not right, and you don't want to share that with anybody or don't know where to turn or even have feelings that are much more extreme than that, I promise you, this is a conversation you're going to want to hear, a conversation that you need to hear. It's episode 79 of The Reinvention Project with guest Drew Robinson, and it's coming at you right now. Drew, I really appreciate you taking time to join us here on the Reinvention Project to share your story, to share what you've learned, to share what you're still learning, and the work you're doing with others. It is awesome to talk to you, Drew. How are things? Things are good. It's a little bit slow right now with it being the off season and some more downtime, but um, it's 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 been it's been good. I'm doing well, and I'm um, excited to be here. So thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, and I'm excited that you're here too. Hey, listen. Do me a favor, follow me on this for a minute, because I want to make the point that you made it to the major leagues, so obviously you were very elite. You know, I thought as a sports talk show host, I had a pretty good grasp on the significance of that accomplishment, but it wasn't Drew until we had two sons of our own who played baseball growing up that I fully, really came to understand what that meant, like the whole travel ball thing, private coaches, high school ball, the entire thing. One of our kids quit before his senior year of high school. The other one had a shot at small college ball, but just lost interest. My point in bringing this up is they cared, they worked really hard, and they still never made it beyond high school ball. The competition is so fierce. I set this up like this because, one, I want to congratulate you and give you immense credit for making it to the bigs. And then secondarily, I want to ask you, Drew, what was your childhood like? How did you feel about yourself growing up? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, it is it is hard. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a very long and tedious process, um, but very rewarding and fulfilling. But um, yeah, my childhood was, I would assume it's a lot like others. Um, just kind of growing up, trying to find my way, trying to figure out what the heck's going on with life and why I'm experiencing things the way I'm experiencing them, feeling them way I'm, the way I'm feeling them. Um, but for someone who was obsessed with, with baseball and what I was passionate about, just like everyone else has their own passion, I um didn't realize there was a lot of underlying things that were contributing to you know kind of take away from some of that that joy or from from some of that just genuine love for my passion and my experiences the context is going to be different from others but the feelings might might create something that might be similar to others um but mine was really just kind of being an undersized um athlete most of my life until I hit a late growth spurt in high school um kind of growing up in my brother's shadows who was kind of the opposite from a physical standpoint. He was always the, the biggest and strongest of his age group growing up. And I was really just trying to look up to him and keep up with him and kind of follow in his footsteps. Um, but didn't realize I was creating a very high level of uh, outwardly comparisons that 
didn't make me feel so great about myself a lot of times. And then uh, mixed with just other childhood um, things that are, are challenging, uh, like for mine, which, 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 which was growing up in a split household and um, a little bit of a family dynamic that wasn't necessarily as connected, but um, still all cared about each other, but it just wasn't talked about a bunch. And with the divorce and things like that, it created a pretty confusing and, um, again, unaddressed emotional standpoint that I just didn't have any clue about. And um, I realized I was acting out. There's a lot of looking back, but I realized I was projecting a lot of things, acting out in a lot of ways from past rather than whatever I was experiencing at that moment. You know, Drew, I really, I really appreciate that response because, I mean, it's so candid and so real. Like, as an athlete especially, you're taught from day one, man, you've got to be tough. You have to be tough mentally. You have to be tough physically. So clearly you were dealing with these things. Did you know exactly what you were dealing with? And then how did you handle that? Did you tell anybody about that? What did you do with all that? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be able to have been able to articulate um, what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, just because, like you said, it's a lot about just that surface level, whatever's in the moment, tough through it, grind it out, which I've realized is actually a very good trait. Like, it's something that I think at the beginning, I, I after my attempt and after I healed, I looked back at it and thought it was like all wrong, all like everything before was bad, but I kind of realized that it, it is really good and helpful to an extent. Um, but the problem was is when it becomes so overshadowing and so under sweeping things on the rug and just focus on that and grind through it and never address things. Um, that's when the, that's when the trouble can come into play and create some bad habits. And that's what I was experiencing. Um, but like, like I said, I wouldn't have been able to articulate or pinpoint what I was feeling at any given time. And I really just let, like left it up to, to chance and just let external circumstances dictate the way that I would act and respond and, and feel about things and um, wasn't the most sustainable way to live life. <laughs> so I've got to tell you guys about this. The other day, I come across a product that all of us should be carrying around. It's something totally different for fresh breath. It's an amazing product called Zellman's Minty Mouth, and I'm telling you, it's a game changer. If you're up in the grill with somebody else and you're making your case for whatever it is, make sure your breath is fresh. Zellman's cleans your breath in a way that other mints don't and can't because it's not just a mint. It's a functional breath freshener capsule that you swallow. Clinically tested against the toughest offenders like garlic and onions, you just pop two or three in your mouth, you suck the minty coating, then you swallow the capsule for the confidence of fresh, clean breath, and it lasts for hours. This product is like nothing else you've ever tried. It fights bad breath in your mouth, and then it goes right down to your gut. This is the ultimate hack to get rid of coffee, garlic, or smoker's breath. You're going to like having the confidence of long-lasting fresh breath or your money back guaranteed. These folks will give you your money back. Not that you'll want it, but they will. They have free shipping if you order three packs or more. Trust me, you're going to want more, and nobody likes to pay for shipping. Go to Zellman's.com right now. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S.com right now. You'll get 15% off when you use my promo code ROAM. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S dot com. You have to use the code Rome to get your 15% savings. Do it now. 
You know, I think to a lot of people listening right now, may believe it or not, may or may not know what we're talking about specifically because this is my reinvention project pod, not my daily sports talk show. So just so folks understand, if we fast forward, Drew, to January of 2020, you had signed a minor league deal with the San Francisco Giants, then the pandemic hits, then the world shuts down, and then baseball and your career are at a standstill at that point. Drew, what happened on the day of April 16th, 2020? Yeah, like like you said, we were right in the thick of the quarantine and all of us were experiencing a very high level of uncertainty, which created a lot of discomfort. And for me, like I said earlier, from someone who was using a lot of my external circumstances to kind of distract me from my internal being and the way I was handling things and the way I was kind of beat myself up for those things and not really uh, not in the most loving way towards myself. I really got to a bad place with some from from experiences that that kind of compiled in the in the short time before that and during the quarantine i was really spiraling in some serious self-hatred and um that high level of uncertainty that we all were experiencing that i couldn't really use things to distract from my self-hatred and unfortunately on april 16th um i got to a point where i was convinced that my life wasn't worth living anymore and i attempted to take my own life in a very extreme and um, dangerous way. Um, but thankfully, I was able to survive it and kind of learn from my lessons and try to help others now not do what I did to learn the same lessons. True. For instance, I mean, this was not a snap decision. Can you share how long had you thought about that? And then how meticulous were you in planning it? Yeah, it was. It, I've had moments in my life where I've had very passive suicidal thoughts, um, just kind of like questioning what's the point in all this, but it was always just a very quick in and out intrusive thought in the past. But around um, February 2nd, which is the day after I called off an engagement from someone that I really cared about and really cared about me, um, I really saw how my internal state was being projected out towards others and was able to really like cloud my vision on, on life and affects people. Um, I saw how I always knew that I was struggling with my own self-relationship, but I, was, I wasn't necessarily working on it or articulating it. Um, but once I saw how it affected someone else I cared about deeply, that's when I really started thinking about suicide and thinking that maybe it'd just be easier if I wasn't here. So around February 2nd, um, which was a couple of days before I left for that spring training. Um, all of a sudden it was kind of like a light switch went on and it was just the only thing that was on my mind was if I should take my life. And it was a very scary and very uncomfortable time because I would be out doing regular life things, but on the, in the background, my mind would always be thinking, can I just go home and do it tonight? Can I go home and do it later tomorrow? Whatever. Um, and it went from just a very passive thought to a pretty much 99% of the time thought that was on my mind. And from February 2nd up until spring training, um, throughout practice, throughout the games, throughout downtime at home. And then when the quarantine happened and just being forced to sit at home, it was just heightened to where there was no distraction, like I said. And all I was thinking about pretty much every second of the day um, for that first month of quarantine was just if I should take my life and trying to hold on, knowing that it wasn't a good decision. But unfortunately, the pain and unfortunately, my self-hatred convinced me and got me to a level where um, I was tired of, of thinking about it and tired of trying to hide it. And that's where that's where it took me. And unfortunately, like I said, I just wasn't willing to admit it to people and get the help that I needed. You know, Drew, it's I want to be so, so respectful of this. And it's so sensitive, but it's so miraculous, of course, that you and I are even having this conversation. If you're at all comfortable discussing it, can you say exactly what happened that day? Yeah, what's well, kind of that specific day is actually one of the more I, I feel like I've done a lot of 
healing and a lot of work to find some kind of peace or some lesson within the whole whole thing to feel not proud about it, but but okay about it to move forward. But that day is one of the more, one of the more uncomfortable ones for me because it really was just another normal day. Um, like I said, for that about month or a little bit more than a month of quarantine, I woke up and was thinking about it, doing these things and and doing whatever I was doing throughout the day. Um, and that's really what I did. I just woke up and I was moving forward throughout the day the same way I was the day before, the week before. Um, it wasn't like I went to bed the night before and was like, okay, tomorrow's the day. It just kind of like overthinking, overthinking. I knew I, I had the means to try, but I was still trying to hold off from doing it. And then during the afternoon of April 16th, um, after kind of adding some things to a, a, a journal entry, which turned into a note that I was working on to, to leave behind, I just kind of realized that, you know, if I, if I'm wanting to do it, I can. And then a couple hours later, I, I it, it finally just became a decision and I um, went into set up and try to make things ready for what I felt was okay to leave behind. And um, like I said, I just really woke up like, or it was going throughout the day the same way I was the day before um, in a very high level of, fear and self-hatred and then before i know it i'm sitting on my couch ready to take my life and it was uh, a, a pretty crazy thing because it really the visuals that i was in, in, picturing throughout this whole process was just stuff that i've seen on in movies and a big emotional build-up kind of like anticipatory kind of feeling but for me it was really the opposite where it was just kind of like calm and i had become numb to the idea because i was unfortunately ready for it um and it was really just calm decision just like anything else of that day which is just kind of crazy to think about just because of the severity and the sensitivity of it but um like i said it's something that i feel passionate about sharing now because i don't think i needed to do that to learn the lessons that i've learned i think i could have been doing all this same stuff i'm doing and avoided doing that and not have an attempt attached to my name and still have my eye no you bet so that thing that you just said i would still have my eye true for instance I mean, I, it's just chilling. I know this story. I, I know it's just, it's so haunting and so chilling and it's so courageous. I think for you to share these thoughts, you did ultimately pull the trigger. You lost your eye as a result. You and I are having this conversation. How are you still here? Where did that bullet go exactly? Yeah, that's that's the thing that I just kind of keep weaving up to um what whatever someone believes in whether it's god universe energy whatever i don't really care um because i shouldn't still be here on paper i shouldn't have survived what i what what happened and what unfolded um but yeah the luckily i aimed a little bit down not knowing and missed my other eye and missed um the the bulk of my brain and was able to just have a very high level of damage but not um, a life-taking amount of damage so um, I was pretty beat up and had some serious healing physically to do. Um, but I think what I know now, if someone would have told me a couple of years before that, then I, that I would be doing what I'm doing um, with one less eye, but be able to have all the lessons and healing that I've experienced, I would probably have signed up for it. But um, I wish I wouldn't have had to go through what I went through that with that phys- that specific act to learn the lessons, because I'm a big believer that anyone that's willing to listen to me, they don't need to do what I did to learn the lesson. So, um, but yeah, to answer the question, I, I don't know exactly. It's just, uh, I got really lucky and I thank God, I thank universe, whatever, um, just for letting me not only to survive it and, and be in the state that I am from a physical standpoint, but also come with a little bit of a realization 
that it, it's time to do some emotional work that I was so unwilling to do. Um, and think just trying to take advantage of the second chance, because like I said, I'm, on paper, I shouldn't have survived or I survived. Hey, now the holidays are here. That's right, they're already here. Let Omaha Steaks take the guesswork out of gifting. Shop carefully curated gift packages that are guaranteed to make spirits bright all winter long. I love Omaha Steaks. I have been consuming them for years. What you want to do is go to omahasteaks.com and you can save 50% off site-wide. Plus, when you use my promo code, Jim Rome, spelled as a single word, no spaces, at checkout, get an additional $30 off your order. It's like the best deal ever. Send tender, juicy, butcher's cut fillets, mouth-watering burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, or even easy-to-prepare meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away. So shop early, beat the shipping rush, and go to omahasteaks.com. Use my name as the promo code, Jim Rome. Remember, one word, Jim Rome. Do it at checkout. Sending Omaha Steaks is one of those oh-wow gifts. It's a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Again, one of my favorite products ever. Order with complete confidence today, knowing that you are ordering the very best. Go to omahasteaks.com. Take advantage of 50% off site-wide, plus use the promo code JIMROME, again, as one word, no spaces, at checkout, and get that extra 30 bucks off your order. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code JIMROME. You know, Drew, I want to, I'm going to turn the page in one second, and I want to talk about some of the work you're doing and some of the things you've learned, but there's just, just one more point about this. After it happened, you, you sat you sat with it for 20 hours before you called 911, 20 hours. Why did you wait as long as you did? And like, were you lucid? Were you conscious? What kind of thoughts were you having during that period? Yeah, that's the, again, on the on paper part. Um, I don't understand. I don't know. I, the doctors weren't able to give me a complete answer, but um, yeah, sitting there for 20 hours, pulled the trigger, stayed awake, saw, was looking at the at whatever I was looking at right before I pulled the trigger, so thought that there was maybe a blank round, maybe I missed somehow. Um, but yeah, I sat there for 20 hours because I was wanting the end to happen. I was just sitting there waiting for the end. I was confused on how it didn't happen, but like I said, what I was expecting was just from the movie. So I was there was times where I was just thinking maybe this take just takes a while, maybe um, the blood loss will take place and that will do the do the job. But um, I was just sitting there in a very high level of confusion those 20 hours because I was just confused on how how it's unfolding the way it's unfolding. Um, I had I mean, I was sitting there moving around my house completely coherent, having clear thoughts, um, realizing I was losing a lot of blood. So confused about how that wasn't doing it. Um, confused about how I wasn't in any kind of significant pain for the first four hours before I went to sleep. Um, and it wasn't until the next morning when I woke up that that's when the physical pain kicked in and just, again, very confused because it was such an extreme scenario that um, I would I would have thought that I wouldn't have been able to survive. So I was just sitting there thinking about when it's going to happen. Is it now? Is it now? Is now the time? Should I wait? Should I try again? Should I call for help? Um, all these thoughts that in that real time, it felt like each, each thought lasted in hours and days because it was a very prolonged feeling in those 20 hours um, when I was going through it because 
like I said, it was just such a severe and extreme situation. So I wonder, so at any point, like when you had moments of lucidity, at any point, did something flip? Did you ask yourself, hey, you know what? I, I, I don't want to do this. I want to be here. I don't want to go. I don't want to leave. I don't want to die. Did you have that conversation with yourself? Yeah, right before I got to the point of calling 911 myself, I had that that moment. Um, it started very a little bit passively a couple hours before that because there was a time around noon the next day, which was about 16 hours into this. I made my way to my, my bathroom and I was looking at myself in the mirror and assessing the damage and seeing how beat up I was. And I had my first thought towards it, or at least my first realization that I was thinking towards the future because I thought, dang, my eye is pretty messed up. I wonder if I'm going to be able to play baseball again. And I caught myself like, well, dang, if I'm thinking about playing baseball, then I'm thinking about living or future forward thinking. Um, do I want to survive this? And that question just kind of kept on bouncing back and forth from between that and should I try again and not really having a clear desire of either one of those, just kind of like thinking it through and wondering so for the first for those next three hours I was just kind of thinking like man do I want to survive or do I want to try again because at that time I was in so much physical pain as well to where it was almost like just putting myself out of my misery kind of kind of sensation and then the other option was calling for help because I couldn't really take the pain and 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 just sitting there waiting any longer so I eventually got to a point almost four hours later around 340 where I made my way back to the couch to where I did it the night before and realized that man I'm this whole time I've been drinking water because I was like, dang, I lost blood. So I need to hydrate. I've been taking pain meds, uh, like an ibuprofen to try to help with any kind of fit pain and really just realizing like, dang, I'm kind of doing things to give myself some kind of chance. Uh, maybe my subconscious is trying to help me realize I do want to live. Um, and then I finally had that moment of just like, this is clearly needing, or this is clearly pointing to me making it through this, or at least trying to. So let me call for help and see if I can survive this for real. Um, and before I know it, ambulance was showing up to take me to the hospital to start my first round of surgery and thankfully I was able to do that and the whole time like I said I was completely coherent um, which is so weird to me because I would have thought that would be kind of in and out of consciousness or whatnot but um, I was completely clear realized when I call it right before I called 911 I had a quick moment of realizing what I was choosing which is a choosing life um, and I know that not a lot of people have that moment in such an extreme way to choose life or death in any given moment so right before i pressed call on 911 i switched the phone to my my camera and took a selfie of myself all beat up and wanted to memorialize that moment of that i chose life if i were able to survive it which i was able to so it's just kind of a very you know um i don't know philosoph or uh just moment of like dang this is very serious and i'm very thankful that I, I was in this place to have this choice after taking life for granted as, as badly as i was 20 hours ago drew i've done this a long time i've done this decades that's one of the most amazing things i've ever heard honestly since i've done this that's absolutely incredible that you're a rare person who has that one moment that can choose life or not and you chose life you mentioned your operations you woke up from one of your operations with what you called a quote insane insane realization do you remember what that was or what i'm talking about what was that exactly it was really just a very strong level of appreciation gratitude and love that i was always kind of suppressing subconsciously before that and a realization that I'm in a position now where I can help others through this experience um, because if I was experiencing that and going through what I was going through after living the life that I was experiencing before that, then really anybody can because back to the on paper concept, I on paper, I had everything I had ever wanted um, as a child and what I was 
striving for. Um, my baseball career didn't go exactly how I was planned, but it's something I should have been very proud of. Um, I had a supportive family, even though we were split. We all still cared about each other. I had a very, I was fortunate to have a good group of friends and people that cared about me. I was financially okay at that time. Um, so if I could be experiencing what I was experiencing while living that, then really anybody can. So if I can find a way to use this experience in some way to help others start the work earlier and not have to respond the way that I did or learn the lessons I did and have to respond in an emergency or, you know, intervention kind of way um, and realize that this work is actually very empowering and healing and helpful, then, then so be it. I'm willing to talk about the worst day of my life over and over again because um, I've realized it's a very healing thing for me and for others to help kind of be the starting line for someone else to avoid doing what I did. Drew, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that because I think people listening might have thought, I, I just don't understand. I mean, we're talking mental health, and I think that there are those that don't really understand. Like, they would look at your situation just as you laid out. Like, he has so much to live for. He has so much to give. He's got so many amazing things going on. Why would he make the conscious decision to try to take his own life? And you just explained it. I'm so glad that you did. Now, the amazing thing is, not only do you go through all of this, and you survive it, and you come back, and you have this why— there's still a baseball aspect to this. Incredibly enough, you made it back. You made it back to AAA. You're playing for the Sacramento Rivercats. You played a game in Las Vegas, which I'll talk about in a minute. But what was it like to make it back, to get back on the field, to play the game you loved, to be with your teammates, to fight your way all the way back through all these things? What was it like to play baseball once again? It was one of the more powerful experiences and process that I reflect on so often still now. Um, I think about it pretty often um, because there was just so much that went into it. Um, just the gratitude of being alive, but being able to play a sport again and not and being able to do it with one eye, which just kind of felt good. It felt cool that I was able to do that. Um, it felt amazing that I was able to go back in the same environment that, that gave me so much pressure that I wasn't able to handle in a healthy way to, to really get, like throw back in the fire and see if the work can help or whatnot. So going back in the same environment and being doing, being in the same place that I was before, but being able to go, go into it with a different perspective and kind of just be my most authentic self and seeing the way that was helpful towards me and then helpful for others. Um, it's something that no home run, no achievement would ever live up to, to be honest. Um, even though that first home run was very, <laughs> very uh, powerful and exciting. Um, and something that I also think about pretty often. Um, but there was just so much I went into it also the, the comeback part where I kind of had to learn how to do things again with, with my new vision, um, with me having one eye, I wanted to quit plenty of time. So I got back into dealing with adversity and pushing through things and using that tough minded mindset mindset to get through some, some challenges that I wouldn't have thought that I could get through. So just so much of the process was so helpful and, and, and growth oriented that, um, I just think for some reason it was supposed to happen. Um, so that way I can help others. Um, but it's something that I also find a lot of value in for myself and a lot of fulfillment because realistically it's, it's some kind of like movie script that I think that if I would have read beforehand, I would have thought that's a little bit too unbelievable, too far fetched. Um, but I was able to live in it's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. So it's getting cold again and I've got a tremendous way to stay warm. Two words, heat holders, heat holders. Heat holders make the warmest thermal socks around. They keep your feet warmer than just ordinary socks in the coldest conditions. Perfect for those winter sports like skiing or weekend in the coldest parts of Wisconsin, for instance. 
How do they do it? Heat Holders uses a three-stage process with a cashmere-like advanced insulating yarn that is soft to the touch and brushed on the inside. That traps warm air closer to your skin. It keeps your feet warmer, comfortable, and dry. They are absolutely the softest, most comfortable socks I've ever worn. Guaranteed. They also have hats, gloves, throws, scarves, and more. Give somebody heat holders for the holidays that you know need these badly. They will appreciate the hookup and your discovery. Go to heatholders.com, enter my code ROME, R-O-M-E, and save 15% off your order. Receive free shipping with a purchase of $25 or more. If you don't want to freeze this winter, go to heatholders.com and use the code ROME. Once again, that's heatholders.com. Heat holders, making life warmer. True, that's the beauty of this whole thing. I mean, even Hollywood, Hollywood could not do this. I mean, even in Hollywood, I'm not sure you buy this. I mean, it's one thing. The home run's not the thing. I mean, getting back is a much larger thing, but the home run is a thing. The home run is one of the most amazing things ever. We're talking about you playing for Sacramento. You're in Vegas. You're playing about a mile from where you attempted to take your own life, and you do hit a home run. I mean, this doesn't even work in Hollywood. This is so incredible. I mean, like, brother, I need to know, what was that trip around the bases like? What types of things were going through your mind? What did you think when you looked at the stands and you saw your father? Yeah, it was a, it was a very wet <laughs> rounding the bases. I was bawling. Um, like, I, like you said, it was a mile away from where I was. I had struggled a couple of games before, and I was feeling like I was, you know, not going to be able to live up to all the hype. Um, and feeling like maybe I was a charity case, just being able to be able to go out there and play. Um, so having that moment of hitting the home run and then really just thinking about, it did feel like the, the rounding the bases, one part of me felt like it flew by, the other part felt like it was a year-long rounding the bases because there was, I, I was thinking about all the people that were there, the, the sound, like the, the level of the cheers that were happening for a visiting player. Um, and then, like you said, as soon as I hit home plate, looking up in the stands, like I knew where my main group of, of family and friends were in the stands, but didn't know the specific seat. So the chances that I look up and first person I lock eyes with is my dad, who has been just unshakable for me in my in my whole life, in my process. Um, it was a very emotional and powerful moment that, again, I, I get chills every time I talk about it because it's just that powerful. And realistically, no matter how I try to word it or describe it, it's still nowhere close to what the actual feeling was like because um, it really was like that culmination of all that stuff and a very healing thing to have my dad, friends, family, my doctors that put me back together in the hospital were there, my psychiatrist who was helping me through that first year, my emotional healing, um, just literally everybody that was some kind of a part of my life before seemed to be there. And it was just a very, <laughs> very powerful experience that, again, I try not to take for granted and think about pretty often these days. I can't lie to you, Drew. I thought it was so amazing. I could not wait to ask you that question. I just think it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. So what is your why now? What drives you right now? Like I said, just trying to share this openly. I try to do as good of a job as I can to not glorify what I actually did, um, but more the lessons that I've learned afterwards and let people realize that I could have been learning these same lessons, healing this same way, without the attempt to attach my name. So it's not because I did what I did. It's because I experienced what I did before. And then I was willing to do the work. Um, and that gap in between that has a really unfortunate event in, in, in involved in it didn't need to happen. And that's why I'm trying to share it openly because 
like I said earlier, I think I relate to a lot of people because it doesn't matter what where you come from, how you grow up, what you achieve, how much you've made, whatever the situation is in your life. We all have our demons. We all have problems that give us discomfort and sometimes can be confusing. And we maybe try to avoid them or just distract ourselves from them or sleep under the rug, whatever it may be. I've just realized from the amount of times I've talked with people and presented to people um, on this story that you could be a, a middle school student or the CEO of a company. We all are feeling very similar feelings just on different levels from different external circumstances. So it's worth going and getting help at times in a preventative way, because the more preventative it is or the earlier you start, the more empowering of a process it becomes because you learn just how much you can help yourself in a controlled way only amplify the things that you're good at instead of having like i said earlier having to respond in an emergency overwhelmed way because from my experience i was trying to do that work i was seeing a therapist before but i was so overwhelmed and so scared of judgment that i wasn't completely honest and it felt like i wasn't necessarily able to receive the help as easily as as i am now because i'm more open and i'm not as emotionally charged or in as high of an overwhelmed state so just trying to help people like i said share the story as a just a reminder or a sign to go get the help or start the help or just start doing something in a little bit more mindful way to see if you find anything that can help free up some space and not feel so overwhelmed or so, you know, um, lost at times when that inevitable life adversity hits. I mean, it's so powerful. It is so powerful and it's so important to know that it's okay not to be okay. Drew, I want to be really respectful of your time, but I want to say this. Normally, it's at this point in the conversation that we would walk it off. I would compliment you on your immense courage. I would thank you for your time. I would ask you to direct our listeners as to where they could go to find more information about you and what you're doing and, you know, ask you about your rebuilt and near perfect life. I would do that. And normally, that's when I would do that. Except as incredible as this comeback is, as amazing as this reinvention has been, did you not once again have thoughts even earlier this year of trying to take your life once again? Yeah, unfortunately I did. And that's, I think that's the message here with the overall journey of any kind of mental health journey that anyone goes into is, especially I really try to help people who are starting to let them know, not in a, a doomsful or daunting way, but let them know that it's not a fix. It's not a healed. It's not a, an end game um, or achievement or something you obtain. It's, it's a continuous journey that you will inevitably go through some ups and downs. Um, but again, it's about creating some kind of pillar that you can lean on during those, those tough times, because um, I had to learn the hard way that I was naively believing that I was healed. I was fixed that for the first couple of months, I just had this near death experience. I survived some, some amazing thing um, so how in the world would I ever have a bad day again? I remember saying that out loud to other people, like, there's no way I get out of that day. If I ever start feeling off, just think about that day and then boom, I'm good. Um, but that's not the case. And unfortunately, I still had a lot of those same thought patterns and self-talk habits that I had before that weren't very help helpful for me and created very high levels of fear, self-hatred, like I said earlier. And I worded it as I was a 27-year vet with my pessimistic self-talk and pessimistic view in the world um, or towards myself. Um, and really became a six-month, one-year, two-year rookie in, in some more overall healing perspective work. Um, so it was scary, but yeah, it's something that I, I've learned that is kind of a pattern for me that I need to kind of process and really try to help avoid in a preventative way because 
Um, sometimes things just get hard, just like we all experience. Sometimes things get confusing. Don't know why I'm acting the way that I am or feeling the way that I'm feeling or deal with regrets from past. They'll pop up again. And unfortunately, it got to a point where the, all those factors kind of added up into another big weight that I thought that it was not worth living, even though I had lived, lived or experienced what I experienced and learned what I learned. Um, I still was dealing with some serious things that I was trying to process, but didn't seem like I was getting any moving on. And I got back to that place and said, well, what the hell is the point with all this? And um, got very close, but thankfully the work shows and I'm able to kind of see now that I was enjoying the fruits of my label labor afterwards because even though I was in the thick of wanting to take my life, I was still going to therapy once a week. And in that time I went up to two, three, sometimes even four times a week, just in some kind of attempt to kind of give myself some kind of grace um, and realize that I don't want to, I don't want my life to end. I just want this uncomfortable phase to end. And that was a big separator for me and something that I try to help others realize is that no matter how bad it gets, even if it is 99% of your life, if not your entire life that you want to end, it's just some kind of uncomfortable experience or phase that you're feeling. Um, and just like everything else in life, it is temporary. It will come to an end and you will be able to get, get through it and see that light at the end of the tunnel like I did. So um, it's not a it's not an overnight fix. It's not a, uh, admit they have some some demons and all of a sudden they go away. It's a continuous battle. And like I said, sometimes it feels daunting for me and it feels scary. Like I'm never going to get there, but at the same time, I've experienced the empowering side of that where it's like, dang, I do have work to do and I, I'm feeling pretty good right now. And I, there's even more room for growth that I can experience. So no matter how you're looking at it, there's always more and it's never, no, never over. Um, and it's always worth kind of going through and finding out what's on the other side. Well, man, I can't, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate all of this. I can't even tell you how much. I can't even begin to fathom how many people are listening right now that have been so dramatically helped by this conversation. Before you go, you are the co-founder of the Better Universe Foundation. What is the foundation's mission? Obviously, what we're talking about, but can you talk about some of the work you're doing and what that's been like? Yeah, really just trying to create spaces for people to do this work and start this work and then help people who would otherwise not be able to get the work, whether it be financial means, insurance, environment set up or geographic set up, just trying to bridge the gap even more so for people to, to get this work and again, avoid doing what I did. So um, having peer support groups, um, talk sessions and like a group therapy kind of way, but not really a, necessarily a professional provided, but more just someone like me talking about it in a, from a relatable, relatable standpoint, because I found how powerful relatability is and how healing it is. So giving people spaces to talk about it, um, being able to help bridge the gap with those. Like I said earlier, I don't have the means. So we have a pay it forward program where we all, we're trying to get a pool of providers to offer some free care and to, to, to see those, those patients that don't have the insurance or don't have the time to wait two months, three months for those long wait times um, that sometimes arise from getting the help. Um, and then the way that they pay their form of payment is going out in the community doing three acts of kindness and then writing a paper on it and turning it into the provider the next session. So it creates accountability for them to show up the next time. It creates action to go out in the community and see how much of an impact they have on the community, which reverberates back into the impact that they have on their life in a positive way. And then the provider gets to see their work out in, in the community, how it's actually impacting people. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, and really just trying to have these ripple effects throughout community. Like I said, I think from someone who is very, looking outwardly and being influenced by others and kind of following by example sometimes. Um, I think it's really important that we all kind of do that in our own individual families, group of friends, communities, and create those ripple effects for better better quality of life and 
just trying to amplify that from a foundation standpoint. So anytime anyone's willing to listen or willing to get the help, um, trying to have some accountability buddies to help them get that. And then, like I said, just trying to improve the universe as a whole. And our slogan is better universe, better you. So it starts with you and it grows out the, to those others. Incredible. So, Drew, now is the time. Now is the time for me to acknowledge your immense courage and to thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story. And again, there's no telling how many people you've helped. In fact, before you go, if there are individuals or organizations or corporations that want to reach out to you, can they? And if so, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, I mean, me individually, um, nowadays, social media is easy. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I've recently brought in a, a manager to help me kind of curate and organize some of these opportunities to try to, you know, amplify some of the messaging and, and get in, involved in some of these groups and events that are happening. Um, and really just, <laughs> I think just reaching out, I think that's something that's so easy um, nowadays. And it's something that I'd never take for granted and try to do my best to respond. But I think there's a lot of the work that can be done without me, which is, again, like I said earlier, just having these conversations and creating spaces for people to be heard and not trying to fix things right away. So coming from a peer support or coming from a support perspective, creating space for something that you know is going through it or if you yourself are going through it, just go and um, unapologetically, not with the fear of being misunderstood, just lay it all out there. And from someone who's done that over and over, I can tell you it feels very freeing to just let things off your chest and get them out of your mind at times. So um, just be willing to take that step for yourself and then you'll see how it might reverberate throughout your your relationships with others. And it's just another thing you can add to the toolkit. I like to say that making mental health work cool and braggy just the way that the same way we do with everything else that we're proud of in our life. Um, that's the way that things change. And it's something that I've found again is very helpful because no one likes a one trick pony um, being tough all the time. This big masculine dude is, is great for certain circumstances, but at the same time, sometimes we need some really high levels of love and empathy. So adding those to the toolkit will only help a, a little bit of everything. Oh man, so well said. I can't tell you, Drew, how much I appreciate you and you sharing your story, the time we spent today together. I'm so much better for it. There's no telling how much better everybody who hurt it is for it. Like, I, I cannot compliment you enough, Drew. Thank you so much for that and really great to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been, it's been a pleasure, so thank you so much. As mentioned, that is a very intense conversation, and I can't thank Drew Robinson enough for sharing his story, as harrowing as it is, and the lessons he's learned and continues to learn. Most of all, I want to thank him for the mission that he's on to improve the universe and help and inspire others who might be dealing with something similar to what he's dealing with, because we're all dealing with something. As he said, his message is one that applies and resonates with everybody, from middle schoolers to CEOs to top professional athletes to anyone and everyone. Once again, it's okay not to be okay. And it's not only okay to ask for help, but it's absolutely critical because that help is available. Again, my immense thanks and admiration to Drew Robinson. If you know someone who you think might benefit from hearing that conversation or maybe needs to hear that conversation, please do share that. This is why Drew came on to share his story and to help others. As always, thank you so much for making time for this podcast as I know you have so many other options and so little time. Stay after it. Let's get it. And I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.